a focus the first part of the message just on first on Psalm on First Samuel 23. Then we'll go to Psalm 54, and uh, because I think it's really important to see the Psalm in its context to order to really understand the richness of it. Uh, this past week, I sent out uh, on the little uh, from the pastor's desk note uh, a couple of articles about prayer. One uh, doing church by prayer. Another article. I hope you had the opportunity to read it. Uh, a, a lady writing about uh, Elizabeth Elliot, uh, maybe a name you're familiar with, uh, a great woman of faith uh, who suffered a great deal in her life and yet had a vibrant, flourishing faith in God. And uh, one of her secrets was that uh, Elizabeth Elliot learned to live by prayer. And the article talks about how, how Elizabeth Elliot processed life. And there were four words, if you, uh, if you remember, if you read the article, four words, am, have, do, and suffer. Um, so that in every aspect of her life, everything that she, ha- that, that she was, am, uh, what, everything that she had, uh, everything that she was doing, and everything she was suffering, she would specifically think of, of, of Praying about those things, uh, giving thanks to God, bringing petitions, but in every aspect of her life, living by prayer. Well, uh, that, is, um, that is something that is a challenge for most of us. Uh, we, we know how to pray. Most of us grew up as children praying, or maybe if you're a new believer, um, you know, you're learning how to pray and finding that to be a, a great joy. But there's a difference between praying and living by prayer. I think most of us struggle to live by prayer. What we tend to live by are our abilities, our instincts, our insight, our feelings. Um, we, we tend to live by the things that are about us. It's how we do life in general. I, I uh, noticed something uh, as I was thinking about how do I do this, uh, I noticed one of the things, and you can ask my wife, she'll tell you this is true, uh, one of the things I tend to say more often than I should is, I'm tired. Um, and now what's wrong with saying I'm tired? It's, tr- it's true, I am often tired, but the, the problem with that is that I say it as though it were a definitive reality. I say it as, as though um, my day depends on my strength and how I feel, and that is factually false. If you're a Christian, it's not how you feel. It's not what you're able to do. That's not how we do life. If God shows his strength in weakness, if God is the uh, our helper and our strength, then, then my weariness is not the definitive reality of my life. His strength is. And we can either, you see, sort of nod to that as an interesting idea, something that we assent to be true, and then get on with our weary way, Or we can cast ourselves upon that truth and lay hold of that truth as though it were the definitive and determinative truth of our life. And that's called faith. Uh, Faith is taking the reality of God to be the dominant reality of your life. And there's wonderful freedom and fruit that comes from it. 
And you can apply that to any aspect of your life tonight. Maybe uh, you would think, well, what am I? I'm lonely, I'm sad, I'm confused, I'm hurt, I'm overwhelmed. Uh, and all those things are, 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 are true, right? <laughs> but they're, they're just not the determinative and definitive realities. What's true about God? What has he promised? What is, uh, what is the confidence that we can have as we look to him and cry uh, out to him? Well, that's what David uh, has learned in so, uh, 1 Samuel 23 and Psalm 54. And so let's go to the story in 1 Samuel 23. Uh, as I said before, David's on the run, and, and he should not be. He is God's anointed king. Uh, Saul knows this. Saul is, uh, as the king of Israel, is supposed to be a godly man who submits himself to the ways and the will of God. Saul should have been doing everything in his power to make the transition to David's kingdom uh, and David's uh, enthronement as easy as possible. That's what he should have been doing. But Saul is a wicked man. He's, um, he's become um, an enemy of God, an enemy of God's ways, and so... Um, so he's seeking to kill David, God's anointed. And we see the difference between these two men. We see, for instance, the, the shepherding heart of David when David gets news that Keilah is under attack from the Philistines. The Philistines are coming, and uh, right at harvest time, the threshing floors are full of grain, and the Philistines are coming and killing uh, the citizens and taking um, the grain, thus uh, driving the rest of the town from their Livelihood. Well, uh, it is the job of the king to protect its citizens. David has no obligation to go to Keilah. In fact, David has lots of reasons, which his men will remind him of, um, reasons not to go to Keilah. But, but uh, David has a shepherd's heart. Saul, the king, is, is, uh, he's not going to be of help here, apparently. He's, he's too busy attacking David. He's the anti-king. What The town that Saul is attacking, if you remember, is Nob. Saul has attacked an Israelite town with Doag the Edomite because Ahimelech, the high priest of God, agreed to give David some supplies when David was on the run, and so Saul, in his demonic anger, uh, destroys, annihilates an Israelite town, including the high priest and his entire family. And so that's what Saul is doing. David, however, because um, he has a shepherd's heart, he, he hears of this attack, his heart goes out to these people, they're sheep, they're sheep without a shepherd, and, and so David inquires of the Lord, shall I go? Um, to, uh, to fight the Philistines at Keilah. Now, th that's a notable, uh, that's noteworthy because we do not read of David inquiring of the Lord before he went to Nob. Not saying he was in sin when he went to Nob, he did not inquire of the Lord, and that may have been very uh, prominent in his mind because um, David realizes that his action in going to the high priest there at Nob has resulted in the destruction of the entire city. It weighs on him. And David now um, intentionally asks God, shall I go attack the Philistines? When David lets his men know, they say, don't even think about it. We're already in danger. Um, that would be a death trap. So David again inquires of the Lord, should I go up? And the Lord said, Arise and go to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. That is living and leading 
by prayer. David doesn't pretend to have all the answers. Uh, David doesn't just lead with his emotion. Listen, guys, the, the, the men of Keilah, or the, the people of Keilah are in, in grave distress. <coughs> we have to go. Now, David is learning um, to let the Lord lead. And he's lead, teaching his men that if they let the Lord lead, um, they will be protected. And so they go, and God gives them a great, a great victory. Now, I understand that um, the Lord doesn't lead us in exactly the same way. So if you, if you uh, say, Lord, should, should we buy this house? Uh, should we take this job? Uh, you don't expect an audible response, yes, buy the house, no, don't buy the house. Uh, we don't expect those answers because God doesn't promise uh, that sort of audible leading of every step of the way. But he promises a whole lot more than we imagine. Uh, John writes in, uh, in 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We know that God hears us. As, as, so when you pray about that house, Lord, it's available. We sense it could be useful for our family and helpful in our mission to serve Christ, to, to show hospitality. Lord, we're looking to you. We are not leaning on our own understanding. We want to acknowledge you in all of our ways. We believe that you will make our path straight. And then you prayerfully proceed, trusting that the Lord is leading. It's a wonderful way to do life. We can have confidence that all the way our Savior will lead us as we look to and lean on Him. Now, in stark contrast to David's inquiring, trusting, praying faith, Saul lives by wicked, carnal presumption. Notice that when Saul hears that David has gone to Keilah, Saul says, Surely God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. You see, Saul lives um, just carnal instinct and presumption. Look at the presumption here. Because it, was in, uh, it seemed to be in Saul's best interest that David would go to Keilah and put himself in this precarious position, um, Saul just claps God right onto that reality. Um, God has given him into my hand. Well, God has done nothing of the sort. Uh, Saul is in flagrant rebellion against God. There are the, uh, people will do this. We've done this. Where you're in, you're in active sin... And yet, because it turns out favorably, or, or, or it seems to be favorable, right? That God is, God is blessing this. I have peace about this. Well, that's just carnal presumption. Saul is just living by his instinct, by his sight, and by his assumptions. It is, it is diametrically opposed to living by true faith. Uh, we can be Saul. We can, we can live. Um, either thinking God is blessing us because things are going well, or thinking that um, God is punishing us because things are not going well. Remember the old Newton, uh, uh, judge not the Lord by human sense, by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Let's learn to, to, 
to judge the, the actions of God, not just according to what seems to us to be uh, good or bad, but according to his character and his word. Well, the story continues to unfold, and David continues to rely upon the Lord. Uh, will Saul come down, he asks of, of the Lord. Um, and, uh, and the answer is yes, uh, he will come down. Will the, will the men of Keilah give me up? And the answer is yes, they will give you up. And so David then uh, moves on and, and avoids uh, Saul's <coughs> vengeance in Keilah. Just one thing I, in, in, in this chapter I don't want you to miss. There is a repeated theme going through the chapter. The word hands shows up over and over and over. Verse 4, 7, 11, 14, 16, 17, and 20. Where we talk about Saul's hands and the, and the, and the hands of the Philistines. And um, uh, the, the idea is giving over into um, people's hands. And, and sort of the, the question underneath all this is, Whose hands are directing things? Is it the Philistines' hands? Saul's hands? David's hands? And the answer, of course, no, it's, it's God's hands, divine hands. Which is why David says in Psalm 54, God is my helper. God is my helper. It does not mean God is my helper the way a butler um, is there to, uh, if you have a need, just let him know and he'll, t- he'll take care of it. Um, God is my help. In this context, it means God is sovereignly, wonderfully, gloriously ordaining and directing all the events of my life. And he's doing it for my good. Now, can you just get that? Imagine what an amazing thing that is. The living God of heaven and earth who speaks and galaxies explode into being. that, that, That God would exercise his sovereign wisdom his skill, his ability, his insight, his, uh, all of his glorious perfections, that God would be ordaining things for your good. I mean, it's, it's stunning. Why would, he, why would he do that? Because he delights to do that. Because he set his love and his affections upon you, and, and uh, he's committed himself, he's, he's attached his honor to your well-being Not just for this life, but for eternal life. I mean, it's an astonishing thing to be able to say. God is my help. Now, that does not mean that life is just suddenly easy. It wasn't easy for David. They leave Keilah, flee to the hills of the wilderness of Ziph, and the men of Ziph give him up. That would have been a heartbreak again. These were his, David's countrymen, fellow Judah, men of Judah. And, and uh, they find out he's there, and they go trotting off to Saul and um, tell you what, let us help you, Saul, kill God's anointed. They're going to hand him over. They know exactly what Saul's going to do. Saul's going to kill David. He's going to kill all of his men. He's going to kill all the women and children who are there with him. They've seen it already happen in the city of Nob. Well, um, it must have been a devastating experience for David. Um, completely alienated. There's no place to hide. People uh, betray him. The, the men of Keilah, after he rescued their city, are ready to betray him. The men of Ziph, his fellow countrymen, did betray him. They go to Saul. You just, you just hear the incredible fickleness of men. You cannot, do not put your trust in princes. Do not put your trust in men. I think it was Harry Truman, President Harry Truman, who said, if, 
just commenting on the fickleness of Washington, D.C. He says, if you, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. Uh, because people are unreliable. And uh, that's absolutely true. Jesus knew this. Uh, in in uh, the Gospel of John, we're told that the uh, John chapter 2, the people were coming and believing in his signs, but Jesus did not trust himself to them, for he knew what was in a man. Jesus knows how fickle people are. But you see, in the context of fickleness, there is a faithful, steadfast, immutable God who is our helper. And in, in a dramatic scene at the end of the chapter, you see God intervening again in an in in amazing way. The men of Ziph have done their work. They've pointed out exactly where David is, and Saul is closing in. David has 600 men. Saul has the entire army. And, uh, and Saul and his men are making their, their way down one side of a mountain, and David and his men are fleeing on the other side. But Saul is closing in, and just as they are about to capture David... Someone comes to Saul and says there has been an attack, a raid against the land by the Philistines, and Saul leaves off pursuing David to go and, uh, and fight the Philistines. Now, this must have been an attack in some area that concerned Saul, because he certainly wasn't concerned about the people of Keilah. And so, and so there was some personal loss here. But think about the providence of God, that um, God is organizing and ordaining Pagan Philistine military attacks exactly at the moment when uh, Saul needs to be taken away and David needs to be preserved. And that's why this mountain is called the Rock of Escape. It's a fantastic story. And it is a story about the faithfulness of God. Friends, this God is, is our God, and this, this is the God that David wants us to rejoice in in Psalm 54. And let me just quickly um, notice four things in this psalm, and, and, um, and we'll be done. If you, if you notice first, uh, this is what pr living by, pr by prayer looks like. It's first just turning to the Lord. Oh God, verse 1. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. David appeals to the two things about God. Um, first, the name of God stands for the character of God, uh, all the glory of God. The promises of God. Uh, we're, we're invited in Scripture to call upon the name of the Lord, which means we appeal to who He is as He's revealed Himself in His Word. That we don't take this just as a religion or spiritual truths, but we take the things that we're told about God as absolute truth. And we call Him the name of the Lord in a personal way. And, and then David appeals to the, the might of God. Vindicate me by your might. He lays hold of, again, you see, the reality of God as God has revealed himself in his word. Uh, it's important um, when we pray to not, not just pray generically of uh, our Father in heaven or God, uh, but to think about who, who are we talking to? Stop and pause. What, what are the attributes of God that, that you can appeal to or give thanks for? What is it about God that you delight in? What is it about, about God that, that causes you at this moment to, to um, 
to cry out to him? What promise has he made that, that, that you um, believe that he will answer? And, and uh, what, um, what are you going to stand on as you, as you pray to him? God, you've said and God, you've done. It's just wonderful to go to the Lord with a conscious grasping of who he actually is and what he's actually said. That's how David uh, comes to God in prayer. And then he presents the problem, and it's very short, one verse. Strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. That's all of uh, 1 Samuel 23 in, in a few words. Uh, these ruthless men have come against David. Uh, they are not concerned about David's well-being. In fact, uh, they are intentionally seeking his harm. These are not men that can be reasoned with. These are, these are fellow men of Judah. You would think that David could go and say, brothers, don't you remember, God has anointed me to be the king. And they would have said, yes, we know, but Saul is king. You have 600, he has thousands. Look at what he did to Nob. We're not going to risk that. But you see, in failing to trust the Lord, they become allies of the devil. And they become enemies of David. They're ruthless men. And they're seeking his life. It's not hyperbole. But that's all that needs to be said. David lifts it up before the Lord. The Lord knows. And David goes immediately then to a profession of faith. Behold, behold, notice, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Every Christian can say that in truth, in faith. Every Christian. And if you are not a Christian, then, then God is not your helper. Uh, this country is full of people who think that God is their butler, that he's their help in the sense that when they get in a tough spot, all they need to do is ring the bell and God will do what he can do. It's just not true. But for those who have confessed their sin and come to Jesus Christ in living faith, the most amazing thing has happened. We've been reconciled to God, and God is now our helper. And that's what faith says, friends. We're not just doing the best we can in this life. We're not just sort of making our way through. We are people who are walking the path that's been divinely ordained. And, and yes, it's hard, sometimes heartbreakingly hard. But we're not there by accident. The Lord is our help. And we have to take that personal pronoun, that possessive pronoun. God is my helper. Because you see, that's the difference between living faith and functioning practical unbelief. There's no hope in an intellectual conception of God as a help until there's a believing, laying hold of that truth, grasping it, taking it for yourself. God is mighty, and God in Jesus Christ has promised that he is my God, and he is my shepherd, and he will hold me. David says, verse 5, he will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, uh, put an end to them. You see, David says, God's made a promise to me. And so that's why he remembers God's faithfulness. God said, I would be king, a living king of Israel. And God will then... Protect, and God will put an end to my enemies. And that leads to thanksgiving. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. Uh, Christians are, we're freed to give thanks to the Lord. 
spontaneously, continually, a life of thanksgiving because God has been so good to us. Uh, this this um, free will offering would, uh, would most likely involve, it'd be a communal gathering. David would gather the community of faith, the 600 men, their wives and children. Uh, there would be sacrifices, there would be food, there'd be singing and dancing. And then David would tell the story of his deliverance. If you, if you notice in the Psalms, David will often say, I will, I will tell the congregation of what you've done. There's, there's a time for Uh, telling the story of God's goodness. And that's verse 7. He has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. My eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. I thought this week as I was writing this, this psalm fits really well with what we've been studying in Revelation um, as we're going through that book. Uh, Because the book of Revelation reminds us that we are faced with very real enemies who, uh, they seek our life. The devil is out to kill you. Uh, the world is committed to destroying you, destroying your faith, destroying your family. That's just true. They are ruthless, not to be reasoned with. Uh, they are deadly in their intent. It's true. The devil hates you if you belong to Jesus Christ. But God is our helper, the sovereign ruler of the world. And he has already in Christ Jesus delivered us from every eternal trouble. He's already defeated uh, death and hell for us. We, we already can stand in triumph over uh, looking over our defeated enemies. The power of sin is broken. The penalty of sin has been broken. Jesus took that penalty and nailed it to a cross. We are people who have been miraculously delivered, set free, victorious. And we get to live our lives then, friends, as as hope-filled Christians, hope-filled believers who, who live by continual prayer. As Paul says in Romans chapter 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Wonderful combination. Rejoice in hope, confidence. Patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Why? Because the Lord is at hand, Philippians chapter 4. The Lord is at hand. Your helper is at hand. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brother and sister, I don't know what's going on in your life tonight. I know many of you are facing hard things. Illnesses, children not walking with the Lord. Just the concerns that you have for loved ones, for the church. I don't know what God has in store for you this week or the week after. But what I know is that if if you have confessed your sin and cried out on the, uh, on the name of the Lord Jesus, you've called on his name, if, if you by faith belong to him, we have every reason for peace, every reason for joy. Peace may be through tears, joy may be with weeping, but true peace, this is not just religious truth. This isn't just Pastor Dale trying to pull something together for a sermon on a Sunday night. 
This is actually who God is for us in Christ Jesus. And so run to him and lean on him. Pray to him. And live in the peace he promises yours in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, oh what peace we often forfeit and oh what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to you, our God, in prayer. Father, tonight I just want to confess how prayerless we can be, how self-reliant and self-dependent, self-willed our lives can be. And Lord, it's such an offense when you stand ready, eager to give us peace. I thank you, Lord, that even when we fail to pray, you never fail to be our God. You never fail to direct, to lead, to guard and guide. But, oh, God, we want to be people who walk hand in hand with our Lord. We want to be people who increasingly see things from your point of view. Uh, We want to be people, Lord, who trust in you in all things at all times and who experience, Lord, your miraculous provisions with thanksgiving, with gratitude and things. Oh, God, I pray that... um, You would teach us these things. We want to learn. We want to be godly in the most beautiful, trusting way. And uh, Lord, I I pray that you would then help us as a church to be a praying people. And that we would see, Lord, that all these things we've talked about tonight are wonderfully true for us as we cast our cares upon you. As we as we walk and live by prayer. May Jesus be praised in it. May the kingdom be furthered in it. May we be made full of joy and peace through it. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Let's respond to the message tonight. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on your side. Number 689 in your Trinity hymnal. 689, we'll sing the first two and the last stanza. One, two, and four. Let's stand to sing.